0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Today I want to speak about the spirit of adoption. Say the spirit of adoption. Um, And I titled it, um, There's a Place at the Table for You. Say there's a ta- place at the table for you, for everyone, for me, for you. You know, there's a place at the table for you. Can we say that together? Look at, uh, like your... <laughs> Alright, I love this engaging crowd. Um, today I bring you the word because, not because I have attained a certain status of understanding the Father's love, not because um, I feel like i reached there, or not because I feel like, I am able and fully I, I fully comprehend the whole entire topic, but i I come before you guys today to present to you um, the whole idea of the spirit of adoption because um more than ever in this this point in my life, I feel the tenderness and the mercy of God um, I feel his nearness I feel his kindness and mercy and i I believe that he wants to extend this kindness and mercy to everybody that's a bit, that, that is present here today. Uh, and we can walk out of this place sharing this characteristic of God and exuberating that and actually exemplifying that for people that do not know him. Right? Um, I think it's also, uh, and but when I was asked to actually speak, uh, interestingly, I had two people in mind. I kept thinking of Christine and Mel because uh, it's almost as if in the city, uh, we, in our third trimester, we always are asked to preach. And uh, I I was thinking about it, you know, like, oh, I'm like, in my third trimester, like, I'm going to preach, you know, what what do I share? Um, You know, and suddenly, like, the Lord was just, His tender mercy was just near me. And He said, Cons, you know, why don't you share from your life? Why don't you share from... uh, really what the Lord has been doing in my heart. And so today, um, even as I share, it's going to be a bit raw. It's going to be a bit vulnerable. Can I do that? Yeah, uh, and, and more, more than anything, I hope that this would actually tear down some walls that you might experience, and sometimes when you come to church, it's easy to put up walls when you're listening to a sermon, but I, I want to invite you to engage with me, um, not by, oh, you don't have to always like, amen, amen, you know, but I guess just by the positioning of your heart, to open up your heart, and to, to hear what the Lord has to say about you, right? Um... I want to start with this. Uh, let me paint a broad narrative, okay, uh, as to what I would like to cover. And when we talk about the spirit of adoption, um, can I go to the next slide, please? Yeah. When we talk about the spirit of adoption, there is one tendency, all right? The tendency is that we keep looking at ourselves, we, we, we end up having a self help or um, identity formation kind of sermon, okay? And the point of today is not that. Okay, while we would bring, we would go, be going on a, a, a journey to actually experience that, I want to actually set it up front that um, the narrative of the spirit of adoption and the father's love is not just, it doesn't end with us. It starts with us, meaning that the father adopts us into his family, he matures us into the bride, Right? Um, but it does not stop at, like, just discovering our identity, me and God, the Father is great, you know, I am his child. It doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, it's a very sad gospel that we read. It's really very sad. Like, every Sunday would be a self-help sermon, right? Or we discover the love of God and it it doesn't get out. It's just like, here, stuck, you know? Okay, you know? right? Uh, and can you guys see? Because I can't. <laughs> okay, let, let me read this, okay? Um, so, the, the, maybe the first narrative that, and, and statement that I want to make is that the father desires to have a family, right? Um, and because of this reason, this is why we have the concept of the spirit of adoption. The father desires for a family. What this means is that he is so committed to us as people that he would Um, adopt us into the family, but he doesn't just stop there. He is committed to actually maturing us to become the bride for who? The bridegroom king, right? And at the end of the day, we are not supposed to stay as babes. We are supposed to mature, right? So today's um, discovery is really just that start point. I won't be able to cover everything, right? But I, I would like us to just bear that in mind. Um, I want to say this: that when we talk about our Father, you know the the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray. It is fundamental that we understand what our Father means because um, it is central to our Christianity. Not just it's not just um, our Father in the. The Lord's Prayer is not just a terminology we use, but it sets the very foundation of what we understand God to be and how we relate to God. That's why it's in the Lord's Prayer. It starts with our Father. It doesn't just start with my Father, it doesn't start with your Father, it starts with our Father. It seems to suggest to me that the concept of our Father has to be experienced within community. It's not, it is, well, it is a personal discovery and that's what we would probably do today. But I want to say that it does not stop at a personal discovery. In fact, you will feel stuck if it's just a personal discovery. It has to be a collective discovery. Yeah, yeah. right? And the fact that you're here today in this congregation is really the first step that we can actually understand and experience the Father's love. Um, in, um, the, in the next slide, It says, um, J.I. Packer, he's the author of Knowing God, and he says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Before God was a creator, he was a father. I want to let that sink in for a while. Before, did I get the right quote? Yes. Um, before God was a creator, He was a father, and I just sense that today that He wants us to lay that this foundation in our Christian faith. Before we can actually um, go beyond, uh, uh, you know, doing the works of Jesus and all of that, we we have to lay this foundation. Amen. All right. Um, the second thing that I want to state out front is that Jesus' primary assignment when He came to earth was to reveal the Father. Yeah. Alright, I, I want you guys to actually mull on this for a second, because um, there were a lot of reasons that Jesus came to earth. He came to uh, set the captives free, He came to heal the sick, He came to he did, he did many, many things. He came to die on the cross, He came to give us salvation, but I want you to understand that everything that Jesus did is really a sub-point to the main reason why he came. And the main reason why he came is to reveal the Father, right? Um... He says things like this, um, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He says, I am the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to me except through me. If you had known me, you would have seen my Father also. And from now on, you have seen me. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Right? Um, I like to think that Jesus' preoccupation was to reveal the Father. Think about this: when he healed blind Bartimaeus, right? Yes, that was a, a sign of healing. But when he did that for blind Bartimaeus, I would think to myself that actually that would be and what any father would do for a son, right? Uh, when the woman, with the, uh, the, the adulterous woman, she came and, you know, she came to seek the forgiveness of God and, and just the a revelation from God. Everybody who was standing around her wanted to cast the first stone, right? And what did Jesus do? He went into the sand and he wrote something, right? I don't know what he wrote, la, okay? A lot of people say, like, oh maybe they, he wrote, like, about the sins of the people who were standing there. Um, I like uh, what Bill Johnson says. He says, I just... Uh, think and remember the last sermon that somebody preached, and what they say she wrote in the sand but but i don 't know what she wrote, but basically there's so much grace in that moment, right, and um he wrote something in the sand, and he he actually addressed the issue, and he actually healed and he she forgived her um i can't help but think that maybe that is like a you know like a daddy and daughter kind of moment, like that would be anything a father would do to restore a daughter who's actually lost and in in pain and in struggling, you know. I think that would be what a father would do. So you see, Jesus, when he came to earth, everything that he did um, points back to the father. You know, you can look through history, you can look through the Bible, everything he did, his preoccupation was to actually Reveal the Father. When he fed the multitudes, he was showing the abundance. You know, when he, he walked on the streets, he, he, he healed people with signs and wonders and miracles. He was revealing the Father. His primary occupation when he came to earth was to do the Father's will. It's to reveal the Father, right? Um, and Jesus never broke character, you know? Like, it's not like, oh, one day, like, one, one minute, I'm like this, and then I don't reveal the Father. But, but he's, like, constantly carrying that, that, um, that mission in mind, or really that relationship in mind when he's walking on this earth. Um, the next thing is this, right? Jesus is coming back to reconcile all things back to the Father, okay? I, I need us to bear this in mind because... Um, Jesus had to come to earth to reveal the Father to us. Why? Because if you think about it, never once in history, maybe I'm in, in the Garden of Eden for sure, but there's never been once in history where the Father has ever set foot on earth. Right? The Father has never set foot on earth. Jesus has, but the Father has not. But there will come a day where Jesus is coming back, and he will reconcile all things to the Father. And there will be a day that the new heaven and the new earth will be one, meaning he will take the new heaven, the the city of Jerusalem, and he will pull it down to earth, and there will be no separation between heaven and earth, and the Father will be on this earth, ruling and reigning with us. Like, we must understand that the spirit of adoption does not just stop in our identity, right? But there is a narrative, there's a storyline that the Lord is writing. And because he wants a family, because Jesus came to reveal the Father, and because there'll be a day where Jesus will reconcile all things back to the Father, this is why understanding the spirit of adoption is so key. Amen? Alright, so um, let's just go into the next scripture. Um, Can we just turn to Romans 8.15, please? Or rather, 8.12. You guys are there? Alright. You know, I I really pray that as we read this scripture, right, that our eyes will be open to the amazing reality that we get an access to the Father. Amen? Um, It really is a privilege, guys. And sometimes the tendency to read a scripture like this um, is that we take it for granted and um, it, it doesn't hit us in our... Gut, you know. I want this message to, or really this scripture, to actually hit us in our gut. Alright, let's read the scripture. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many... As are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. I don't know about you, but when I read this scripture, I, I, I want to live a life that is not bonded by fear. Um, this thought actually triggered me once when I was actually having a conversation with uh, 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 Jason's best friend, uh, Josh, you know who Josh is. Um, I was talking to him, you know, and uh, one day I was like, hey Josh, like, you know when you lead worship, when you, when you preach and stuff like that, or just generally in your life, right, do you struggle with the fear of men? And then he looked at me and he, like, honestly, like, not just like trying to prove something, you know, he looked at me and he said, Actually, Kans, no, uh, I don't struggle with it. And it's not a constant, like, playing in my mind. I feel free from it, you know. And at that point in time, I was personally struggling with, like, battling, like, the opinions of men, you know, and all of that. And it got me thinking, like, wow, I suddenly got a foretaste of what it means to be alive that is lived in an aspect of freedom. You know? And I, I told myself, God, I want to make it my pursuit to live in that kind of freedom. I, I, I want, you know, like, I mean, inside here, we all have our fears, right? We all have our insecurities. And, but how nice would it be and how freeing would it be if it didn't happen here? In fact, like, I'm liberated to live freely. You know, I think a lot of times we, we forget that this is a possible reality, you know, and, I, and today I want to show us that it's possible. The Bible says, you know, he has not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear. And here what Paul is doing is that he's taking us into the deeper foundations of this scripture. Um, and verse 15 is really a response to verse 14. Says uh, the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit, Who are these sons of God, right? These sons of God who are led by the Spirit are those who are not bonded by the spirit of fear, but they are given the spirit of adoption. And what Paul is doing here is that he's giving us insight into the knowledge of God. He's giving us insight into how God actually works, how God actually thinks, how he governs his kingdom, how he he looks at his kingdom, right? I mean, let's, let's think about this. Pause for a moment and think, right? God, in all his sovereignty, could have organized his kingdom this way. I have my sovereign power. I make you a slave. You follow what I do. I give you my commandments. You do it. Everything will be sweet and dandy. One day, I'll come back into the great kingdom that I built through you. And it's a kingdom of slaves. I mean, let's be really honest. It could have been possible. Because he's God, he could have done anything, Right? But, also be, but, but what fascinates me is that though it was possible, he did not create a kingdom and he does not want a kingdom of slaves who are bonded by fear. He wants a kingdom of children. He wants a kingdom who are uh, 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 sons and daughters who have been adopted by the spirit of adoption. Amen? Yeah. Um, you know, the solution to a lot of our fears in our life is really the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption is what gives us the ability to cry out, Abba Father. And this crying out is not a, uh, it's not a baby crying, right? It's an innate kind of groan, it's an inner gut kind of groan where we can assuredly call him Abba Father. And Abba is really a very tender, affectionate term, you know. Um, and, and this is what the Lord has bestowed upon us. You see, when we understand this, um, just verse 15 itself, it should radically change our lives. It should radically change the way we live because we don't have to be caught up in the fears of life. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to compare ourselves with one another when we walk into a room. We don't have to feel like we're not enough. We don't have to feel like we're too enough. We don't have to feel proud. You know, we, we, we are safe from a lot of emotions and we are safe from a lot of heartache if we understand that. And what a freedom it is, you know. I it's my prayer that as a church, imagine a bunch of 150 people walking in that kind of freedom and confidence in the, the work that the Lord has done in our lives. I think it's really powerful. I don't know about you, but I want that, amen. Um let's go to the next slide. I want to talk about the spirit of adoption specifically. The spirit of adoption in the Greek word is broken up into two words. It means huyo and thesia, right? So huyo actually means son and thesia actually means a placing. So what it means is that it's a literal placing of a son or making someone a son, okay? Um, You see, in Paul's time... um, The whole idea of adoption was referred to a series of specific legal acts in the Roman world by which a boy um, was given a position of a son in another person's family. This was referred to as adoptio, right? And um, Paul was using the whole idea of adoptio and spirit of adoption because he was a Roman citizen. Right? Um, and he was a Roman citizen by birth, and he used the Roman legal right of adoption as a stunning picture of what the father has done for us, and he, he, he kept like digging it out, right, uh, and through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit, right. And in that day, a normal practice would be that if, let's say a, 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 a man and a woman cannot conceive, right, what they would do is that they would reach out to a slave family in their community and they would ask for their son, the, the, their son to actually be adopted. In this case, it really helped because the son of that slave's family um, would not have to actually serve in that measure anymore and not be a slave anymore. But it also benefited the family who was adopting them, the couple, because it removed the social stigma of actually not being able to conceive. So it, it, it was a the the whole adoption was actually a very special and a very restorative, joyful kind of process. Yeah. And the process actually involved two main stages, right? So the first stage is actually when the, the, the initial father would actually sell his son to um the new father, and this was done three times of a sale, right? So by the third time Um, the legal rights of the first father was not given to him anymore. It was given to the new father, right? Um, The second part of this is that this had to be done in the presence of a Roman magistrate. And when the papers were signed, it's a final thing, okay? There's no turning back. Um, You know, this, this... uh, the way that the Romans actually did adoption and the, the historical facts of adoption and the legal way it was done, um, it really points to a few parallelisms that I hope that we can actually draw out in our spiritual faith. Can we do that? Yeah. All right, so the first one is this, okay? Um, it would have brought a total break with the old family and a new family relation with all its rights, privileges. And responsibilities. So in other words, right, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of a fully legitimate son in his new family. So in the most literal sense, okay, uh, what it means is that this new um, son would have a new father. And I like to think that in the same way, uh, when we are adopted, we are removed from the old authority that we were under, okay? And and the previous rule that we were under, and we have been given a new father, right? Um, The second thing is this, an adopted son would become an heir to the new father's estate, okay? And this was not determined Check one, two. Um, this was not like a case like, oh, for example, if um, John is adopted into the family and then Andre is a new son, like another son, a younger son, then the inheritance is not given to him anymore. It, it did not matter whether there were sons that came after him or whether there were sons that uh, entered at the same time with him. It didn't matter. You know, when he came into the family, he was the rightful heir. He would be the rightful heir and he would get the, the rightful inheritance to his father's estate right? Um, I like to think of this as, you know, um, as children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ, right? And everything in the Father's kingdom is actually made available to us. Um, Jesus lived conscious of the fact that he had unlimited resource. Amen? And I think it's time that as a people, we live that way. That we live knowing that our Father has all of heaven's resource and we can walk in that and when we are adopted into the family, we are a new heir. We can, it's, we're boss, right? Like, this is, we, we, get, we get to experience the fullness of God in that. The third thing is this, right? The old life of the adoptee would have been completely erased. Under legal terms, all debts, all obligations all past experiences that the person, that the son would have experienced is erased. So you could have been owing, your family could have been a slave and owing like millions and millions of dollars in that, uh, in relevant to that time and age. But when you come into the new family, you're debt free. That's good news, right? I mean, it means that when we are adopted into the family of God, our past no longer has a hold on us. Literally, you know, it's, it's a name change and then Ta-da! You, your debt is no longer on you. You can live free. You know? And and um, I love this because when I read this, I'm like, and I saw well, this is like actually the natural way of adoption then. I'm thinking, what more the spiritual adoption, you know? And I, I, I hope that today we would just mull over that. It's so good news. There's so much freedom in that. Um, Paul also uses another picture, right? Uh, from the Roman adoption. He says that um, in verse 16, can we read that? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. All right? Paul uses another Roman analogy. What happens is this. Huh? Uh, when, there is, when the adoption happens, there will be... Um, imagine the, the the father dies. Suppose the father dies, right? Um, and there might be some confusion over the inheritance or the rights of that child that was adopted previously. Um, what will happen is that they will be called to court and um, seven witnesses will have to show up, okay? And if there's any confusion about the status or paperwork or the the inheritance rights, okay, these seven people, witnesses, will take time to vouch that the adoption was actually genuine at the point that it was done, right? Um, I like to think, that the Holy Spirit and, and when Paul was referring here that the Spirit himself bears witness by Spirit that we are children of God, that the Holy Spirit is the one that witnesses that we are children of God, ushered into the kingdom, and he witnesses for us when the enemy comes and lies and twists and turn and help you, you know, like like make you believe in lies about your identity, he stands as Holy Spirit and he says, No. It was a genuine adoption at the point that it was first done. You have no hold on them. It took seven like witnesses, right? But you know, um, the Holy spirit he, he is the one who witnesses and bears witness about our adoption. And this is like the deal, man. Like this is—he seals it up. I love it. It means that there is no turning back. Okay. Um, so I've—I've I've run through you know a whole list of like what the spirit of adoption means, and it's all great, right? Yes. You, don't, you guys don't seem like you think it's great. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think it's great. Uh, and But the thing is this. It's great because we know that it's so good, but sometimes we don't believe that it's so good and it's true. But I want to say that it's so good and it's true, right? But there's no without saying that we have to go through, you know, working out our spirit. It doesn't mean that we, we don't struggle with the spirit of orphaness. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with fear. Like I know that this is great. This is like an inheritance that God has given to me. I'm adopted into the family. I do no longer have to fear. But the truth is, on a daily basis, we do, right? And um, I want to show you a few traits of what somebody who might be tied up in fear what they might be struggling with, and what it looks like. In other words, I will use the word an orphan heart. If you're adopted, you're adopted, right? That's one spectrum. But the opposite of that is that it's an orphan, right? An orphan's heart. Um, And I want to bring you through a list of these symptoms. And I want us to actually take some time to think through uh, whether this um, applies in our life. It's not to say like, oh, this is you, you know, this is you. And, and I don't want in any case, like if it's not you, don't go and churn and then like, oh yeah, it's me, it's me, right? But I think like, in, it, it, it's, just a, it's just a checklist, okay, if you will, for us to actually really evaluate where we're at in our emotional health, okay, and spiritual health. So, let's go to the next slide. The first thing is this. Um, orphans... Tend to function out of fear and not love. Okay? Um, Think think about this analogy with me. Uh, Imagine I have two sons. Uh, It's not a prophecy, I only have one. Uh, And imagine like two of them, uh, I want them to learn, or I want them to actually learn the piano, right? Um, And yeah. Imagine my oldest son He's like super earnest And like he's like He loves music You know he's like The Beethoven of Singapore Shakalaba You know like He's like the Beethoven of Singapore. He loves practicing the piano. I don't even have to like buy him a piano. He can go and ask his friends, and then he like delivers a piano to the house, and he practices every day for like seven or eight hours. Okay, um, and then I have another son. <laughs> Again, not prophecy, uh, Okay, but imagine I have another son, and then uh, I say you have, you, I mean, you 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 have the opportunity to learn the piano, and he doesn't like it, you know. So, but he continues learning it because I am a very strict mom. I cane him whenever he doesn't learn uh, and when he doesn't practice, I ground him all right so he has to learn right at the end of like eight nine years, both of them reached grade eight yay right um but one of them would have been the the process was very different the The, the process of my older child would have been that he loved it. He enjoyed it. He flourished in it because his heart was alive. The other one reached grade 8 because he was keen and he was scolded. And he was, there was fear that was injected into him, right? Um, you see, both of these sons, not both of my sons, both of these sons would have attained the same level of success, at least in the eyes of the world. But the success of their process was very, very different, or how their process looked like was very, very different right? One was driven by love and one was driven by fear. A lot of times in, in church, uh, even when we do ministry, we can be standing on a pulpit. I could be preaching today because I'm driven by fear, meaning if like I don't preach, then like Andre will come and howl me. Or I could be doing it out of love because I really love this church and I want to see us flourish, right? that Everything that we do is driven by two motivations. It's either love or fear, and i find it interesting that in the scripture right um, the bible commands us commands he huh? commands us do not fear okay at first when i read like all these commandments in the bible like do not fear it didn't make sense to me because how can don't, don't fear huh? don't fear you cannot be scared you know you cannot be scared And, um, you know, when the Lord was, when every time we are commanded to do that in the scripture, right, what the Lord is actually doing is he's exposing the number one enemy uh, for disconnecting us from the life source, okay? What it means is that, like, you know, it's not, because the enemy cannot um, cut off your relationship with God, right? He can't do that. He has no power. He's rendered powerless. But what he can do is he can make you cripple, like as if you have a broken leg. Sorry, it's to... <laughs> how. it just came to my mind. <laughs> you know, what he can do is that he can give you, okay, a broken limb, okay? And you are disconnected from your life source. It's a bit like when your hand is numb after you sleep like there for like five hours and then you're like, it's like dead, right? Um, he, he, can, he can't cut away your connection with God but he can like, disconnect you from your life source. And, um, and he wants you to be out of function, right? That's what the enemy wants to do. So when God says, do not fear, he's not saying, you cannot fear. Huh? He's not, it's not like a reprimand, like a commandment to go and settle it and then you come back when you're not fearing anymore. Right? What he's saying is that within reach from you is the capacity and the grace for you to overcome fear. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he's saying that through the spirit of adoption, I'm giving you this access to have the capacity and reach to overcome your fears. I, it's, it's, it's a fascinating idea because he does it in a way that is a commandment, but he, he's not actually reprimanding you. There's such a tenderness and a grace in saying, do not fear, right? And um, the spirit of adoption allows us to overcome this fear. It makes it within reach that you cannot fear in your whole entire life. Right? I just want to put it out there. You cannot fear anymore. Right? The second thing is this. Orphans actually live without a name. Um, they have difficulty receiving love, acceptance, challenge, uh, the challenge giving, uh, receiving admonition, or giving affection. Right? Um, can we get the next one? Yeah. Lives without a name. Um, You see, a son has a family name, an identity tag to him, right? Um, But orphans often have to prove themselves, their significance, their worth, um, who they are. Um, They often have to actually, um, uh, they find themselves saying that they don't find a place of significance. But you see, a son finds significance from a family, from being loved and cherished and simply for who they are. Simply for who they are. This has a lot of application to our day and age because sometimes when we come to church, we feel like we have to put up a front. You know. We, we, people might not know our names and we, we put on a certain facade. But I think you know, it's safe to say, right, Andre, that in the city, it's a safe place to be simply who you are. It is. You know. Um, the third thing is this. Orphans have difficulty when they fail or when others fail them. In other words... They are hard on themselves, okay? And um, religion says this, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. Okay? But the gospel and the spirit of adoption says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. It's, it's, a, it's a radical change in our mindset. I, I want to ask us this question. When we mess up, do we actually run to God? Or do we think that he's mostly upset with us and we don't want to run to him? The fourth thing is this, right? Orphans live with great emphasis on performance. There's a tendency to perform, uh, compare. And you know, the, the whole thing about performance, uh, in the eyes of the world, uh, it's actually seen as really good, you know. Because <laughs> you're, you're performing, you're high performance, you know. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work that way. I mean, just look at the parable of the talents, right? Um, it wasn't about the number of talents that Jesus gave to uh, um, the, the servants, but it was how they stewarded the talents. Amen? orphans tend to compare themselves Uh, I don't know about you but I'll I'll share my story in a bit but I went through a season where I compared myself with everyone that I would encounter like it didn't take much you know, it's just like when I meet you naturally you would pitch yourself against the person like am I better or am I like not so good or am I same if I'm same then we got chemistry that's how we got married, no I'm just kidding (laughs) You know Like like, I mean let's be really honest You go into a meeting room You sit down at the table um, Based on what you wear You already evaluate somebody else Or like Based on what they wear You already evaluate somebody else Right You go into a grab car You already Before you go in Like this morning Jason was like Hey this guy ah, Two star only you, you know Like We <laughs> Two star Okay never Take off the recording huh? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, to be honest, I was really scared because the, the poor uncle was actually very sleepy and he was falling asleep when he was driving. So I had to like, hey uncle, are you okay? Yeah. But the, the point being, we compare ourselves, right? Um it's a it's a natural kind of inclination, but what a privilege and a freedom it is if we can walk into a room and not even care. Like, yeah. you know, like not compare. Like I'm secure I'm who I am, I'm a child of God. I don't really care about you. I mean, if I can put it that way. La. Yeah, in a good sense, yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> Orphans find comfort and identity in counterfeit affections. Because you don't get it at home or because you don't get it in a place of safety, there's a tendency to actually find counterfeit. Whether it's addiction, whether it's busyness, whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever, you know, uh, whether it's relationships orphans tend to actually do that, okay? And the last one is this. Um, orphans live without the belief of a promised inheritance. This is a big one, okay? This is a big one. It means that orphans don't believe that there are Christmas gifts, presents. In fact, you don't, they believe that you don't get anything for nothing, okay? And orphans don't get an inheritance, Okay? Um, and an orphan would find it very difficult to be generous. Okay, that's one aspect. That's what we always talk about. But an orphan is also one who finds it difficult to give. But you see, a son is able to say this, my father is wealthy, there are many resources, there are many rooms in his mansion, and you can just take anyone that you want. And I celebrate that. I think a lot of times we think of orphans as, yeah, you know, cannot receive, cannot, but, I want to challenge us as a church. Can we give? Do we have the ability to actually give to people and celebrate that? Knowing that when we give, it's not a lack, but it's a multiplication and there's always enough at the table. There's always enough. Right? Um, I think a lot of times what the enemy does for us in our lives is that he lies to us that you're not enough. I don't want to take more time, but uh, can I just turn you to Luke 15? Um, when we were praying for the, the, the church, I just felt like today that there is a table that's presented before you. That the Father has cooked up a feast and there is a table before all of us and we can all partake in it. Um, I love Luke 15. I, I won't turn um, into the 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 whole entire scripture because for the sake of time but we all know the prodigal son story right um, that this uh, father had two two sons um, the 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 younger son actually left the house asked for his inheritance left the house and actually went away to a foreign country and squandered all the money when he had nothing left and uh, he actually stayed with pigs he ate with pigs and then he decided that he wanted to come back to the household and um, the father, seeing him from afar off, actually ran towards him. Uh, and in the midst of doing so, he asked the servants to bring out the fettered calf. You know, throw a party for him, put the ring on him, the rope. And um, when the when the younger uh, when the older brother came back, the older brother was actually upset, right? He was not happy with this scene because of the extravagant love that the father had actually shown to the younger son. I'm not going to go through the different angles. Uh, we could, that, that's a sermon for itself. But I want to zoom in into the father's response um, at that point in time when he responded to the younger son. Can I do that? Um, I, I think this is actually essential for us to understand because you can't love, you, you can't cast orphaness out. You know, like, whatever I was experiencing, the the, the struggle of oftenness, you can't cast something like that out. You have to actually love it away. Right? Uh, I love what what the scripture, you know, when we read the scripture, it says, um, and he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The first thing is this, right? The father actually saw his son. And, um... It, it, what it suggests is this, that the father was intentionally looking out for his son. Right? Um, Jack Winter once said, it's a good job that the elder brother wasn't the one on the lookout that day. Um, the younger brother would have surely been sent packing. Right? And the father took on the ownership and responsibility of looking out for the son. So much so that when the son ran or uh, came back, he was able to run to his son. Right? And what, what it means is this, the father sees you. The father sees us even in our weakness. Alright? The second thing is this. The father has compassion on his son. I want to say that this is not a shallow statement. When we say compassion, it's not like, oh, you know, it feels so good. The, the compassion we're referring here is actually an inner gut kind of feeling. It, it means cutting of your inner guts. It's a bowel kind of movement, right? So when Jesus, or the father, had compassion on his son, he yearned with an intense sympathy and pity and, and care for his son to come back. Alright? <clears throat> I want to say this that the father has compassion on us. We might be struggling with our awfulness, we might be struggling with all these kinds of struggles, but he's emotionally invested and he wants to restore us. This is the kind of father that we serve. Alright? The third is this: the father runs to his son. <clears throat> this is powerful because the the the, under, the the word run it suggests the notion of racing, right? He ran to his son and he did this because, okay, in the Jewish culture, there's this thing called kazaza, right? Say kazaza. Kazaza. I might say it wrongly, and then you might have repeated it wrongly after me, but kazaza. <laughs> All right. In the Jewish culture, when a man or woman actually squanders off the money of the family and leaves the household and spends it in a foreign land, when he comes back, if he ever dares to come back, they would do this ritual or ceremonial thing where they would take a hot a flask, a clay of beans and they would smash it at the feet of the person when the person returns. As it to suggest to say that you are no longer a part of us. We alienate you, right? So what the father was doing here is that he was running to the, the, the son so that the villagers would not see his son and actually shame his son before he could reach him. He was reaching to him first to protect and to cover him. This is the kind of God that we serve. He runs towards us even in our mess right? The next thing is this. The father embraces the son. This literally means that he fell upon the son's uh, neck and he was kissing the son continuously in a very fervent and continuous action, right? I want us to know that and remind us that the son was actually sleeping with pigs. He was eating with pigs, right? And pigs are not kosher, by the way. Yeah? And He fell on him and he kissed him and embraced him, right? Um, All this to say that the father embraces us whenever we are in a pit, in a mess, when we are struggling with our orphaners. His love is enough to actually embrace us and to restore us, amen? This is the kind of father that we serve. The struggles might be real, the spirit of adoption is great. The oftenness that we experience is real. But so is the Father's love for us. When I was praying for um, the church, and I'll just close with this, the image that I kept seeing is actually a table that's presented before us. And that there will always be enough room at the table. Can I go to the next slide, please? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll move past this. I don't have time to cover my story. Move. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. Okay, so this was actually in San Francisco. Jason and I had a very life-changing experience. When we talk about there's always enough room at the table, this was our moment for us. Um, we were walking down San Francisco, and then uh, we were from walking from Fisherman's Wharf, right? And Jason said, there is this chupino um, that is very famous, all right? It's like 60 bucks, okay? It's like very famous. And that was like 3 o'clock. I just had lunch at 12. It's very famous. Let's go there, okay? So the pregnant lady walked like 25 minutes up and down San Fran, okay, just to have chopino. So I reached there, and and near the restaurant, there was this homeless man um, that was sitting there and asking for money. On one side of his um, cardboard was saying that he needed money, the other side was actually soliciting for prostitution. He had no, he had like one, sh- one sweatpants on, no shirt, and, a, and he had a blanket that was really smelly. So I looked at him and then I looked at Jason and I was like, let's pray. Uh, give him money. Okay, so we took out money, we gave him money. Then I walked away. Then I felt, cannot lah. I can't just give money. Let me go back and let me pray for him. So I went back and then I said, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so I prayed for him and, um, you know, just prophesied over him, and it was amazing, right? So I walked away, and then I went back to Jason. Then we were going to sit down for a chopino already. And then suddenly, like, the Holy Spirit just nagged me again. You, you, can, you, you can eat your chopino like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> 100 meters away, there's a poor man. You're you here spending $60 USD on a chopino, like seafood. So I, I look at Jason, and I say, uh, I think I'm going to ask him something, lah. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to ask him whether you like to join us for a meal so Jason said don't disturb people la. I don't think he will feel he will feel very shameful he will feel very shameful <laughs> <Is it? laughs> no uh, sorry but it's real right like in those kind of moments like you know it, it, you, you don't always feel it you know but I was Feeling it lah, so I said okay then never mind I go ask him myself so in my head, I said, pregnant woman then I go out to him and I say hey you know I prayed for you just now um, would you like to have uh, lunch with us <laughs> and then in my head I think Jason say he, he don't want one because he's like very shameful so I said I'll just ask la. I said then he yeah sure then he take out his, his blanket and then he came and he sat down with us outside this restaurant and we were eating right and before we, we, we could eat, we asked for hot water, because it was really cold, and we're sitting outside, and then, lo and behold, like, when we were asking for food to come, uh, the, the waitress and the waiter were shouting at him and saying, hey, you know, like, get out, you're not, you're not supposed to be here, you know, and I found myself, like, like, straight away saying, he's with us, you know, he's with us, and then they looked at me and Jason like in a very weird way like, what do you mean he's with you guys? Like, and I said, he's with us, uh, we're having a meal together. And he's like with his blanket, he was a homeless man. He sat there and he just ate bread and he was really like polite and we got to actually prophesy over him. We got to share the gospel with him. And uh, in the next slide, you can see. So the next slide is actually uh, when I got to pray with him and before I felt like I needed to ask him to eat with us. But the next slide shows... uh, a uh, very special moment where I got to share with him. <laughs> Cannot? Anyway, um, w- yeah, we, we were able to share a meal together at the table. And after the meal, uh, I got to pray with him and lead him to Christ. Um, and the, 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 the verse that kept coming to me was, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, in, in that case, in the presence of the waitresses, you honour me by anointing my head with oil, my cut runs over. But um, I, I, I walked away and uh, I was like, wow, this is really what the kingdom of God is about. We talk about the spirit of adoption and having an impact on us personally. But I think the spirit of adoption cannot stay in the four walls of the church. You know, it has to go out. It has to go out. Um, And for for that moment, I remember prophesying over him about the spirit of adoption and how the Father loves him. And I realized that the Father's love is no despiser of persons. I walked away really encountering the love of the Father and what it means to really extend our Father's house to a people who do not know and need it. Um, And living out what Jesus did in revealing the Father to a world that does not know him. Right. Uh, I just want to invite you to stand.